Hello, I'm Poppy and welcome to Out the Gate Parenting and the first birth story episode. I'm so excited and what a story to kick us off. The beautiful Danielle James tells us her wild initiation into becoming a woman, becoming a mum at 15 years old and having three kids under four by the age of 19. Danielle is such a powerful example of how even at such a young age her intuition was there. And more often than not, it's everyone else's discomfort that impacts pregnancy, birth, postpartum and beyond. Listening to her journey fills me with joy. As I record this, Danielle is seven weeks postpartum after birthing her seventh baby, her second free birth, peacefully, happily at home. So let's get into it. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. I'm really excited about this and glad that I have a small break from my children who were quite intense this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel you. Um, I got my son down literally minutes before coming on here. So yeah, I think we should dive straight into it because we've got a lot to cover, I feel. And I think we're going to probably... We're going to probably get right into some nitty gritty things and I can't wait. So I would love to start this off how I start off all of my interviews, apparently. And that is try and get a glimpse into your introduction into womanhood and what that looked like. You know, was there a kind of coming of age thing? Was there a specific memory? Was it a really gradual thing? So... I'm glad you said I can overshare because this is going to be like a really weird, random story. Um, I grew up with a single mum and was rather dysfunctional. Um, We have a very complicated relationship. Um, My mum was always like a friend. However, one thing she really did get right was she was always extremely open with me about our bodies and about periods and about, you know, all kinds of things like that. I, I never had to be embarrassed about asking questions about sex or anything. So that was something that I do feel very grateful about with her. So when I started um, my bleed for the first time, I was about 13 and four months, I think. And I kind of had expected it for a while and she took me out to get lunch and, you know, it was a really lovely time. But the thing that actually makes me, made me feel like, well, I'm a woman and this is really real was a few months after that, um, I was staying at a family friend's place with my brother. My mum had sent us there so she could have the night off. Um, And I had used a tampon for the first time earlier that day. And when I went to remove it later on, it wouldn't come out and it was stuck. And me being like 13 and a half years old and having no experience of that, I started freaking out and panicking. And I couldn't really tell the people I was with what was going on. I kept trying to call my mum on their landline and couldn't get her. And this was like the middle of the night. And so then, um, yeah, it was just terrible. And I'm freaking out that something's really wrong with me and I'm going to have to go to the hospital and like going through all these scenarios in my 13-year-old brain. And finally, I convince the person I'm staying with to take me home. And he takes me home, the, the dad takes me home and we get there 
And my mum staggers out half asleep to the door. I think she'd had some wines that night, so she was like not really with it. And I'm like, mum, this tampon is stuck and I can't get it out. Please help me. Like I'm dying. And she like says, okay, well, I'm going to have to have a look. So she has a look and it turns out that the tampon is caught on my hymen. And so she probably still slightly a little bit drunk, gets some clean scissors and snips it. And then she's like, well, now you're really a woman. And it was just like the weirdest, craziest thing. And I think that's when I realized like, this is the thing that people had been talking about because I had heard all the stories about that, that it either breaks when you first have sex or it breaks when you land down on something too hard or, you know, anything like that could happen. But this was just such a crazy situation that absolutely matched up with the tone of my childhood. So yeah, that is probably when I realized that I was a woman. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. That is, that's the craziest potent <laughs> introduction to, but also that's quite a thing having a, like a, a home job surgical introduction to yeah yeah your vagina to your yeah. to your um your womanhood far out and it was oh it's so interesting because like now I think about it and I'm like you know my mum always overshared we have there was never any boundaries she was always more like a sister and that story is just like the epitome of what our relationship was like and it's so funny yeah. to me now to look back on it with the reflections as I have as a 34 year old woman. Um, and it's like, wow, it's just such an interesting story. And I don't tell it to many people, but when I do, they're always just, it's always a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, look, I kind of, I resonate with that in a different way. I, I never had my hymen snipped by my mum, but my <laughs> introduction to womanhood is not so much, um, how I felt stepping into being a woman it was more how I started to observe other people dealing with me mm, like I yeah. started to feel different in people's presence and I started to my innocence was um kind of stripped away quite quickly um both yeah. of my parents are musicians I'm a musician we always went out to gigs we were always going out doing things um and nothing dodgy ever happened and now now that I'm an adult I get that it was just adults trying to include me into the dancing yeah. into the into the music into the um which now I love and now I try and do that with my track children um but it's interesting because I just kind of it's like I reached a certain age where all of a sudden that started to feel different and people stopped mm. treating me in the same way basically that was my introduction yeah. and I think it's so um just like with so much that we are told as women nothing is linear nothing is just boom 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 done it's it's a very mismatch um kaplink kaplonk way forward sometimes you know so yeah. wow thank you for sharing yeah. that i love that that's, yeah that's... i and i I, I totally resonate with what you just said because i felt like once that happened to me i started noticing the way that people would look at me the way that my body was really changing the way that those interactions would change and adults would treat me more as if I was an adult too. And it, it just really was quite defining. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So your relationship with your mum is very 
girlfriends, very sisterly. What would you say your transition then into motherhood was? Like, yeah, where does your motherhood journey begin? So I got pregnant with my first child when I was 14. Um, He is about to turn 19 years old. So I was very young. I think at the time I couldn't understand everybody else's dismay with the situation because I just thought I was so grown and mature and didn't really think it was a big deal, um, weirdly. But I think when you have had to grow up really quickly and you've you've missed out on childhood because you have a, an emotionally immature parent or a parent who really expects you to take on the parenting role. I took on the parenting role for my brother from a very young age and I just sort of just knew it was something I could handle, but everybody else around me was was just terrified. Um, so I found out that I was pregnant with him and it was obviously quite a shock for everybody. Um, I started seeing a GP who had like a certificate in obstetrics and she was highly recommended and had attended tons of births and all of that kind of stuff. And I guess at the time I was 14 years old, I didn't really know what to expect. My mum had had two very straightforward hospital births. My grandmother had four very straight hospital, straightforward hospital births. Um, I mean, as far as I was aware, you just, you just went to hospital and had your baby and it would be perfectly fine and your body would know what to do. And I had no idea the intricacies of everything around that. Um, I was always huge on reading things so I read all the books I did all the research I knew everything you could possibly need to know about pregnancy and birth and motherhood but just none of the things I actually needed to know um that pregnancy was really straightforward I had to leave school partway through they I think I got to about three or four months pregnant and they told me that I had to leave before I was showing and I started doing like, yeah, it was very, um, the school did. And I remember there was a girl there at the time who was, yeah, yeah. So I was only in year 10 at that point. So it was my second year of high school. And I remember there being another girl there who was very pregnant and she was in her final year. And I said to them, well, why do I have to leave? But she doesn't. And then they said, because it doesn't make our school look good that a 14 year old's pregnant, but it's, it's okay because she's, only here so she can finish um, her final year and go and continue her study and I think that was my first sort of look at that discrimination that would continue throughout my teen years as a teen mum. Wow okay I have so much to say. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Were so first of all I'm just curious so was it did you have a partner was it just was it just you? No. Um so my older four children I have with my ex-husband however at the time he was living hours away it was not a serious thing at that point there was no yeah there was there was just no indication that it would continue sort of past that point he would come to Nelson like once a month and I sort of thought that that would be that um and I guess at the time, I didn't think sex was really a big deal. It was just something that I did because I could, and then I was pregnant, and then it just was snowballing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was, it was just my mum and I and my brother. Um, 
of course I told him and then obviously eventually we ended up getting married but at the time there wasn't a lot of contact going on between us okay okay so yeah because I'm I suppose I'm trying to place you as a 14 year old girl I don't know what was that like what was your mum's reaction when she finds out that her 14 year old's pregnant um it wasn't great so I was always a person who was obsessed with babies. I think from like age 11, I was like, I just can't wait to have babies. Not that it was my intention to get pregnant that young, yeah. but it, I suppose that I was looking for that love that I had not received. It was just this unconscious thing that I was doing. And I can now see exactly how it all played out and why. Um, my mom's reaction was not good because my younger brother was very... I hate to use the word naughty, but that's the word she was would use. He was really hard work. He was an intense child. Um, schools had a lot of problems with him because he didn't fit that mold. He was such a hands-on kid, very energetic. Um, she really struggled with a lot of mental health issues. And I think compared to him, she always called me the good child. I was the one she'd have to worry about. I was the one she'd brag about to friends. I was the one who did really well in school. And she, you know, thought that I was, she had a lot of pressure on me. The whole family had a lot of pressure on me that I was going to grow up to be a doctor or a lawyer or something of high status. And so when I got pregnant, I think that was so shattered for her because she got so much of her value and worth as a parent and as a woman from me being the good child and being able to say, well, look, I've done a good job because she's okay. Even though I think you can agree with me that when you are the good, the good child is usually the one that you have to look out for the most and probably has a lot of stuff that they're not sharing with the world, um, which is why they're so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she did not react well. Um, she took me to a pregnancy counsellor at the hospital. And I mean, I knew as soon as I found out I was pregnant that I was going to have this baby, I knew it was going to be difficult, but it just didn't really matter to me because I even at that age could see that that was just going to be part of my path and that it was really important that I followed through with that um and so I went to this pregnancy counselor and she basically just sat there for an hour and a half telling me all the reasons why I needed to have an abortion and telling me all the reasons why I'd be a terrible mother and telling me all the reasons why there's no way I could do this and every time I would ask her well you know if I do decide to keep the baby what support is there and trying to actually have a conversation with her, it would just get shut down. Well, well there's no way you could do this kind of thing. Um, and, and when we left there, even my mother was like, wow, okay, that was not why I took you there. That was really intense. And I'm sorry, but she was so pushy, but oh, good. my mom went, yeah, my mom went into a really big breakdown um, after that. And she was drinking a lot more than usual and just really not okay with the fact that I was pregnant. She would get really drunk and then scream at me about how I needed to adopt the baby out. And it was just an ongoing thing through the pregnancy where she was supportive, but it was incredibly hard for her because she had so many of her own unhealed things that were obviously coming up through me. And it was definitely quite a difficult time for our relationship. What was that like giving birth at 14 years old, knowing what you feel like you know, and then being in the hospital system? Like, how was that for you? Um, so I didn't have anything to compare it to at the time. And a lot of the like understanding of that trauma has come afterwards and has come through my 
the births after that one but it was really traumatic and I I went to the my care provider at 41 weeks she was definitely not like an induction happy kind of a person she was happy to wait sort of as long as it took so that was something um however she asked me if she could do a check at 41 weeks and she did a stretch and sweep without my consent or permission um I of course thought that that was completely normal and even though my mom was there in the room when it happened she was also a person who was very compliant with medical people and really believed that that was just necessary and that they were the experts and so I didn't feel like anyone was really standing up for me and I remember her saying the doctor saying afterwards oh I just did a stretch and sweep while I was in there hopefully that'll get things moving and I had no idea what that was I hadn't really read about that I was kind of just like well that was agony and I'm in pain now and I you've just violated me and everyone's yeah and everyone's telling me normal and like I I just turned 15 at that point and I still was just like so confused but because everyone else was acting like it was normal I didn't really feel like I could question it so it kind of just got shoved down at that time and yeah then um that was when around that time was when some really annoying prodromal labor started I think I had about 10 days to two weeks I think it probably started a bit before that appointment but yeah it just went on and on where I was just having contractions every five minutes that were only sort of 30 seconds and they weren't really doing anything and he was very posterior but nobody told me and it was just like a really disconnected experience and a really disconnected um, relationship with that provider because she just wasn't telling me anything she just wasn't I'd ask questions and it was like oh no just just wait until it's time and I just had no idea what any of that meant and I was just kind of winging it and then yeah they did pick up when I was around 42 weeks. I think they scheduled me the next day to go and meet with an obstetrician about having an induction, um, which again, I just thought that that was the normal process. I was already starting to internalize that belief that my body couldn't go into labor on its own and that there was something wrong with me because at that point I had no idea there was actually anything wrong with the medical system. Um, so I was just blaming myself already without really realizing it. And then yeah, eventually they picked up to the point where I was just, I'd had enough. It had been almost two weeks of that with no no real change. So we went up to the hospital. Um, they pretty much immediately broke my waters and then left me in the room. My provider didn't even come. They they said to me, oh, she's just going to get some sleep and she'll come later. I felt very, very unsupported. Um, I had my mum and my brother there with me and then they kept saying he was being too annoying and trying to make my mum find somewhere for him to go and it was just constant disruptions people coming in people wanting to check me um you know I kept trying to do things like can I get in the bath can I have a shower can I do all these things that I instinctively at that age even felt like oh I know that's going to make it not so painful wow and that helped for a while but when you've got people coming into the room every five minutes to touch something or turn a light on or check something it really just you know as soon as you come out of your body and into your head and that adrenaline kicks in there's just no way that it's going to be enough so I continued on until I was about fully dilated and then I had just had enough and for some weird reason they agreed to give me an epidural when I was sort of ready to push which is crazy still no mention of the fact my baby's posterior 
um, when they would have known. But if they had have told me that, you know, I know now that there would have been a lot of things I would have been doing to to shift him and to get into better positions to allow him through if that was the way he wanted to be born. But it just really wasn't, nothing was really being spoken about. So they give me this epidural. It doesn't really work. Half of my, I can still feel it in one side of my body. And I'm just like so exhausted and traumatized by that point. And my mum, because she'd only had her own birth experiences, she was just like, what is wrong? Like, what is wrong with you? What's going on? This is so weird because her babies all came out couple days after the due date very easily it was it was not she had good like pretty good lucky hospital experiences so I think even for her she was like I didn't realize this was something that could happen um Mm. he I think around somewhere around that point they started asking me to push but I was lying down I couldn't feel anything nothing was happening um I I kept trying to say I'd like to get into different positions. They tried, they turned the epidural down and tried to help me, but I couldn't really feel anything. So it was all very counterproductive. And after about three hours of pushing, they sort of, I could tell that they were actually just getting sick of waiting and then began the whole process of them coming in and being like, Oh, you're so tired. We know that you've had enough. And we really like to help you. We're going to call the obstetrician and he can come and do a forceps delivery because I just think you need a bit of help. And, you know, we're so suggestive when we're in labor, like anyone could come in and say anything and we'd be like, okay, because we're just so desperate at that point. Um, yeah. Especially as our babies are about to emerge, so many emotions and feelings can come up. And yeah, so the obstetrician came and they put my legs up in stirrups and he explained what was going to happen. He was the person who had delivered my brother so my mum already had this rapport with him and so I just assumed he was trustworthy because she spoke so highly of him and then the next thing I knew all these people walked into the room staring at my vagina with my legs up in stirrups at 15 years old and one of the midwives says oh these are just some medical students they're just going to watch because they haven't seen a forceps delivery before and I'm just like what thinking like obviously so out of my own head and full of this epidural that they then pumped right up so it was very hazy for me and I of course didn't think I could say no and even though in my head I was like I don't want these people there there's a big difference between knowing you can say no and actually being able to do it when faced with that that need yes um so yeah they pulled him out and put him on my chest and I thanked the people who were abusing me um, for for doing this entirely unnecessary high rate of, of, of interventions. And yeah, I had my baby and he was lovely. And after that, it, I had, I did have a very nice midwife come in at that point who kind of could see that this had gotten out of hand and she sort of shooed everybody out and turned the lights down and did the checks right next to me. And she, you know, as far as a hospital experience for that part, it was okay. But then they jabbed me in the leg without uh, even telling me and just pulled my placenta out. And it was all very clinical. And then they just sort of left me alone in this room with this screaming baby and didn't really, it was just bizarre. It was so bizarre, but I, I mean, I had nothing to compare it to. And I just thought that was how it was. And oh thank goodness I had a healthy baby and that I'm alive and that's great yeah um so yeah that was that was how I was introduced to motherhood um everything was a bit of a nightmare like breastfeeding everything and of course nobody told me that because of the birth I'd had that had a big impact and 
there was not really any actual support. And when I mentioned to them near the end of my postnatal time that I, you know, I, I may have to switch to formula because he just would never latch. Um, they just sort of made me feel guilty and told me, oh, it's such a shame. You really should breastfeed, but were not willing to give me any support with basically anything. Um, you know, they'd cut me. I was in pain for weeks. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. It was just, it was horrible, but I truly just thought that was normal. And, you know, I had other friends who were teenagers who had had babies and they'd had cesareans. And I just thought I'm so lucky I didn't have to have that. It was just such a bizarre thing now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And then that being your first experience going into your first ever postpartum, your first ever breastfeeding experience, your first ever bond with one of your offspring, <laughs> you know, like it's no small thing. And then like, I've heard so many times of women being like, I had so much unnecessary forceful hands-on attention in the in the in the labor and the birth and then i was left with a baby all alone with no care no attention no um guidance no wisdom and actually guilt put on top of like oh well you just feed the baby you just put the baby on or you know yeah. oh it just it, it never it never ceases to amaze me just how unsupported women are let alone 15 year old girls and honestly the discrimination in the hospital was horrendous like they were just saying things to me like oh we're gonna go and try and bath him with you but you probably will have a really hard time with it because of your age and everything was because of your age and you know I'd go to the toilet and then come out and they've taken my baby out to the hall and without my permission and I'm like where's my baby because obviously and you know I I remember falling asleep with him in the bed and it was really nice on the first night and then getting absolutely berated because I'd done that and it was just it's so interesting how they're so willing to intervene to the point of trauma and abuse and then as soon as you have the baby and everyone's alive and they've got what they wanted they'll just leave you to it and every the blame is just always on the mother the blame is just constantly and then they wonder why we have these high rates of you know postnatal depression and every and all these breastfeeding rates are low and all these like no one wants to have any more babies because they're so traumatized and don't know how to deal with it and the people that they're giving these like giving women to actually work through this trauma are so up the hospital systems ass that they don't actually want to help these women the way they need to be helped and it's just Oh, it's horrific. But of course, at the time, I just had no idea. Yeah, yeah. And so how long after your firstborn were you then pregnant again? So I, after that, like me and my ex-husband got together properly uh, when my oldest was about one and a half, maybe a little bit after that, we moved down to his hometown um, and with his parents and sort of began living our lives there. We actually were trying to get pregnant with our second child, um, which was quite a different experience, um, but that took quite a long time. So I think it was when he was maybe not long after he turned two, I found out that I was pregnant. Um, by that point, 
we were looking at buying a house and when I was five months pregnant I bought a house um, it was a very small town so it just had a few case loading midwives there and it was quite quite a nice like chill vibe compared to what I'd experienced the first time but still very medical but I think when you don't realize there's options outside the system you're it's very easy to just be like oh well this is this is great compared to what I had last time so this is going to be so much better not really acknowledging the fact that it's all really one and the same and you're just going to be lucky mm. as to who you get so that pregnancy was extremely difficult um like my first pregnancy was wonderful it was so easy there were just absolutely no issues whatsoever it was just so normal but with my second child, um, my first daughter, it I started getting really severe kidney infections when I was about 17 weeks pregnant and they just kept prescribing antibiotics and just giving me all these things that were just making the problem worse and it just got so bad. I think when I was about 34 weeks pregnant, I just was in such severe pain. I thought I was dying. We went to the hospital and they found out that I had a bunch of kidney stones and that I had pyelonephritis and pyelonephrosis. So both of those conditions, you're only meant to have a 1% chance of having them during pregnancy. And I had both. Oh my gosh. Um, I do think it was like now being, yeah, now being the holistic person I am, I can see that the way that they dealt with those issues would have, would have made it worse and it would have compounded and, you know, in my following pregnancies, I dealt with any any pain in my kidneys in a very different way, and I never had any issues again. So, um, yeah, that, so that happened. So there was a lot of hospitalization going on, um, sort of in my third trimester, which was quite stressful. They wanted to do surgery, but I was so like, I'm not doing that. And luckily, the kidney stones came out on their own. I think my right kidney went to about four or five times its size and almost burst. And it was just so much like medical drama. Like I've never had anything like that happen in my life. And it was quite, yeah, yeah. So they discharged me from the um, surgical and obstetrician team when I was about 38 weeks. Um, But they wanted to induce me around that time. So I ended up going to the hospital to discuss this at about 38 weeks. And then a few days later, they wanted to induce me. But thank goodness, I actually went into labor on my own the day they were going to induce me um, because oh, wow. it was, yeah, it was a very stressful pregnancy. And I don't typically have babies before before the due date. But this time um, I, I could tell that she just wanted to come because it was just such a invasive stressful pregnancy and so yeah I went into labor um I got very very lucky with the midwives that were there I had to travel about an hour and a half to um the birth center that I was going to birth at because the birth center in the town I lived in was constantly being shut down I'd actually asked them about a home birth during that pregnancy but they said oh there's not two midwives available and at that point of course I didn't realize that I could have just literally stayed home and given birth um but yeah, so I went there and was in this like birth center attached to their wee country hospital and it sort of unfolded pretty well. I had a midwife who was sort of really encouraging of me standing up and walking around and didn't want me to lie in the bed and I just thought this was great. Um, I didn't think that there were any midwives in the world who were like that um, and I feel like that was just yeah, I I mean, it was really intense. I'd never been through a full labor before. My last one, I'd had the epidural that, you know, dulled a lot of that intensity. Um, 
I gave birth to her really easily standing up um, and she came out in three pushes and I caught her and it was really lovely. And that was sort of my first experience of anything remotely physiological. And yeah, I was on a big birth high, which I never got the first time. Um, so that was really new to me. You know, however, now I look back and I think about all the things that were still really interfered with and how I was just really lucky with the people that I got to support me that day. And there were still things like shoving the jab in my leg without consent, you know, giving my baby vitamin K without consent, just all these things happening and just sort of telling me about it afterwards. This happened. So my first three babies were given vitamin K without consent. It was basically like, we're giving the baby vitamin K now. What? And it was given to them. And same with the whole, you know, jab to get my placenta out. It was like, we're, we're giving you this jab now. And it was just happening. And then it was done. And it was kind of like, there was no, but of course, at the time, I just thought, well, this is just their policy. This is just what they do. I don't really get a say in this. I didn't understand that it was my choice. Even though I knew it was my choice, I kind of still didn't. If that makes sense, it was still, I mean, I was only... 18 at this point it totally does mm. because you were yeah you were pathologized from the start to the finish that that the whole thing was yeah. made to be to feel like it was out of your control out of your body's capabilities of birthing the baby even though it happened so of course when that comes up you're just like oh, okay like especially and it's interesting yeah. because the first time you had trauma response the second time instead of a cascade of interventions you had a cascade of um natural physiological hormones that were coming in so then you were on a baby high of of of, of mm. birthing your baby physiologically feeling good about that and and then those people that allowed it to happen just do that yeah the shot for your yeah. placenta the shot the, the k for the baby and yeah, of course mm. you were just like, okay, it's, it's shocking. Yeah. And it's like, it's really interesting, the Stockholm syndrome that occurs in that system, because you just become so bonded to these people because you really think they're the only people who can support you through these situations. And, you know, when I had my second baby, I realized how traumatic my first was and that maybe it wasn't all my fault, but I still carried that belief that, I couldn't do it without them. I couldn't go into labor properly on my own. Like, thank goodness I was there. Like, it was still just all of this narrative that they had, they had sort of um, pushed on me without me realizing it. And my breastfeeding um, journey with her was really difficult because I went into that pregnancy thinking, well, I couldn't breastfeed successfully for very long the first time, so it's going to be the same again. So I bought everything under the sun to sabotage that um, without realizing I was sabotaging it and you know we we only got through about six weeks and she actually fed really really well um, from the beginning but because there was no actual support and everyone around me was trying to like obsess about all these little things I just I just didn't realize that there was actually nothing wrong with anything that was happening so I started doing things like topping her up and by three months or six months we were not we were not breastfeeding and then I ended up grieving that immensely and realizing it was wrong after sort of researching some stuff and trying to re-lactate re with her but it didn't work and then I got pregnant with my third like very soon after that 
So she was only about seven or eight months when I got pregnant with my third. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I've got I've got things to say, but we've got a few pregnancies to get through. So you just yeah. you just go for it. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was a really uneventful, easy pregnancy. Um my focus was not so much on the birth because by that point I was like, Well, I can give birth, that's fine. Yeah. Um but I was really determined that that would be the time I would have a successful breastfeeding journey that actually went as long as I wanted it to go. Yeah. Um, so my f- whole focus that pregnancy was preparing to breastfeed and working through that stuff. And I mean, I was only still only 19 at that point and really did not have much support. Um, my husband was not, not a very supportive person. He, it was very much that traditional belief of I just have to go to work and that's all I have to do and she'll handle everything else and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so with him, I did not have any kidney issues, but at the end it started to flare up again when I was about 37 weeks. I also started developing really horrific SPD um, and pelvic pain around that time. I ended up being induced at 39 weeks because of the kidney issues. I now can see it was entirely unnecessary and it was just such an unnecessary induction. However, I think at the time I was like, well, I want to meet my baby and I don't want, you know, what happened last time to happen. I want to, yeah. And and he was obviously just not ready to come because it was like, you know, it took three or four days for them to really get my labor going. Um, he was having a reaction. Like the labor itself was amazing and it was, you know, it was about six hours and honestly, I am a weird person who had an induction with basically no pain. Like it was almost a pain-free birth. It was, but I think because I had only given birth like 17 months prior to that, it was so fresh in my mind. And that belief in myself was so, was already there that I knew what worked last time. I, I wasn't overthinking it. It was, it was so easy to just do it. Mm. And yeah, so he came out, um, no issues, but then, you know, had they were giving him oxygen and all this stuff was going on because he'd had such a reaction to the syntocinin. Um And, yeah, that, I mean, I didn't really have anything negative to say about the birth at the time, but it didn't take me long to realise it was all pretty unnecessary. But it, as far as, you know, it went pretty smoothly as far as an induction can. Mm. And I did get my breastfeeding journey. I breastfed him for two and a half years and Yay. that was sort of the saving grace to all of my experiences thus far. Mm. So being alone at 19 years old with three kids under five, under four, like that's a lot and still being able to push that still being able to push through that and have your two and a half years of breastfeeding. I just wanted to say that as a whole, cause that's enormous and that's huge and well done. <laughs> yeah. And it did feel huge to me. And like I, everyone around me at that point, like his parents were incredible. His mother was incredible, but you know, they'd grown up in that dynamic too, where his dad just went to work and his mum she worked too but she had to do everything else and look after the kids and every time I'd bring up a concern to my husband he was just like well my mum did it so why can't you put like there was a lot of black given to me constantly about the fact that I wasn't able to hold down a job at the same time like there was something wrong with me um 
it was very isolating and very um, constantly being gaslighted by everybody that I was trying to bring this up because after my second child, um, I experienced like really extreme postnatal rage and anxiety and quite a lot of issues, but it just, I just powered through it because I thought it was just normal and no one was really answering my questions or willing to discuss it. And so mm. I just kind of, there was so much being repressed through those first three babies. It was just constant repression because I wasn't being heard and I just kept blaming myself and thinking, well, I should be doing better. I should be able to do all this. Everyone else is telling me I should be able to do all this. There's obviously something wrong with me because I can't. Mm. Um, so I just, yeah, I just really didn't think about it. And then, yeah, after my third was born, um, I had a six year break between my third and my fourth. So that was the biggest break I had. And yeah, I didn't think I'd have any more children at that point. Um, we ended up moving back to my hometown when I think my third was around three years old because my husband had had some surgery and the recovery had been really bad and we'd come up here to seek some more support for him so he could get back to work and all of that stuff. So yeah, we had another really huge move and then our, our marriage like had a really really rough patch and our relationship broke down in a really really big way and we separated for a year when my third was about four um, which was really really difficult I think for me I just didn't have the tools to really understand what I needed and what was happening but I just knew that it wasn't healthy and that I needed a break from it um we had continued that separation with the sort of hope that we would work it out. Um, but I like, I just had a lot of time just going out and figuring out who I was and everything was changing for me. I was 23 by that point And I just felt like everything was really like shifting for me, but I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. So and I was just being blamed by everybody in his family and all of our friends, like that, that I was just, uh, it was just such a tumultuous time, but we ended up getting back together. And then I fell pregnant about three months after that with my fourth, which was really, um, I was really excited because I'd had a miscarriage a couple of months before that. And that was definitely not planned. Um, but it was that was so traumatizing for me to lose a baby because of that loss of control. I was such a control freak because I'd had so much control stripped from me. I just held on to any any control I could. And so when I lost that baby, it really affected me in a massive way and honestly took me years to get through it. But yeah, I got pregnant with my fourth child and because I was back in the home city that I had had my first in, I was just like, I'm having a home birth. I will give birth in the street before I will ever go back to that hospital because they had, by that point, I'd unpacked that trauma from that first birth in a big way. I mm. understood that it didn't need to happen. I still had some stories around, you know, my own abilities and going into labor on my own and stuff like that. But I just knew that if I went back to that hospital, the same thing would happen again and I wasn't willing to do it. So I found a midwife. Um, who was just really supportive and honestly one of the ones that don't really exist anymore she was 
just very chill didn't care that I was declining things it was just all very I don't know I felt like I was leading the process even though I still felt like I had to jump through all of those hoops because it was in the system um and I was still like people were very concerned about my choice to home birth but I was mm -hmm. so excited about it and I just remember constantly trying to convince them of it by saying things like oh but the midwives are going to bring all their medical equipment and like th this way that I was selling home birth to them like yeah. it's okay because the hospital is going to be in my home and now I'm yeah. like wow that, that in itself was just such a trauma to unpack <laughs> but yeah um I a few days after my due date with him I went into labor it was sort of a slow start I took the kids for a walk and things started getting going it was honestly so straightforward um I think the midwife got there about an hour or so before he was born it all happened very quickly very easily um so the birth itself was great the pregnancy had been great um but that postpartum was very difficult I as soon as he was born I felt that incredible depletion drop happen and I you know I didn't have a supportive husband he was just not not able to support me he didn't understand that I needed more from him in that time so you know I was up like an hour after giving birth washing all the stuff from the home birth no. and you know like just getting on with my life and putting my oh. kids to bed and yeah and then he just yeah he just went to bed and I had this baby and I remember walking down the road with the baby when he was two days old to go and get some food or do some errand and just being like feeling like I was going to pass out because I was so so because you probably were <laughs> yeah yeah I would have been and after after my birth my midwife had gone on two weeks of leave because she'd been waiting for me to give birth before she took her regular kind of rotation off because she really wanted to be there and that was great but then I just had random sort of midwives showing up every few days to check on me but they didn't know me or my story or my history so and I was too afraid to tell these strangers how unsupported I was um and you know I had my husband and my mother didn't get along so I hadn't had my mother at that birth we were still my mother and I haven't had contact for years now but at that point we were still in and out of contact with each other and my mum wouldn't come and support me after he was born because she was so upset that I hadn't had her at the birth and oh everyone my gosh. was just making it all about yeah so it was just it's about everybody you know, else this, not you <laughs> yeah and I just had this amazing birth and this amazing pregnancy and I was so happy but then this postpartum was just disastrous and you know I was I was walking my kids to school like four days after the baby came and I was like it was just so it seemed normal at the time even though I felt like shit but now I'm just like oh my god like I see people out with their brand new babies now and I'm just like go back to bed because go that's home. where you need to be <laughs> yeah go home yeah and I have to catch myself because just like what you just said, you never know somebody else's um, situation. Yeah. Like these women could know that they could, they could feel that, know that um, and still have no choice at that time because they don't have the tools, because they don't have the knowledge or because they don't have the support. If you don't yeah, have, you, you know, if you don't build that postpartum, up for you um and sometimes you do have to um 
regurgitate the information to everybody else and be like, no, this, this is what needs to happen. But if it's falling on deaf ears, you know, there's, it's a real shame that postpartum isn't held in the same light as freaking baby showers are or, um, photo shoots or whatever. Like I get it. Those things are beautiful, but my goodness, if, if we paid, attention to the mother and baby after they give birth um after they birth together after they go through that journey through that experience together if that was given as much attention there would be far less yeah uh well like you said earlier there'd be less um postnatal depression there'd be better breastfeeding rates there'd be better um health all round mental physical wow so then so this is your fourth child so you go through a separation at what age and then you find your new partner who i'm assuming is more (laughs) supportive than your first yeah so we um so after when my fourth was about eight months old we made the move all the way up north to Auckland um, because my ex-husband was able to get a better job there and we were just ready for a change. Um, so we moved there and, my, you know, my best friend was up there and there were just a lot of reasons why we thought we'd just give it a go. And we ended up staying there for three years. Um, in that time, my mother-in-law really sadly passed away at 54 from cancer and a lot of things happen. Our, our marriage was honestly just never in a good place at all since we got back together really it we we did really try to make it work but it felt very one-sided and I just I was happier being near my best friend but I was so miserable with this relationship and this person who didn't want to talk about it and it just got worse and worse um we ended up separating around the time that his mother passed away and I still we stayed living together for another maybe like nine ten eleven months after that um just because financially there was no possible way I could afford to live on my own in Auckland and I had been discussing with him at that point that I wanted to move back to my home city um which he was very on board with and sort of had said that I wasn't sure if he would follow at that time, but we were going to make it work with the kids. And I sort of started planning for that, I guess, for a long time. Um, I I had sort of a year plan of wanting to be back, back where I was living. I had no intention of meeting anybody or having another, any more babies at that point. Um, I was just so exhausted because, you know, my fourth, I breastfed my fourth till he was three and a half. I didn't really have any, any time to myself there was not really anything going on for me outside of motherhood which was totally fine because I had met a really really good group of friends up there and I was working as a nanny for my best friend when she went back to work after her maternity leave and like I did have quite a good community going on there but it just felt really exhausting to be doing everything on my own still um, he had to work a lot more. He was working two jobs when we first moved there because for him, it wasn't even out of financial necessity. It's just for him, he's a person who being a workaholic is his addiction of choice. And 
it was easier for him to work 20 hours a day than it was to be at home and support me because he knew how hard it was. He just didn't want to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, things just sort of, it was not the easiest time. I think I started talking to my current partner when um, we'd been separated for a good eight, nine months. Um I went down to my home city for a few days to stay with my mum and ended up meeting up with him and like we had a really lovely weekend together and that's when I got pregnant with my fifth child. So yeah, yeah. So it was just there was no this is like this introduction into this new relationship, this baby. I went home and thought I really like this guy, but he's younger than me and nothing's probably going to happen. It's probably just going to be this fling. Like, he's probably not going to want anything serious. Like, that's cool. I, I enjoyed myself. It was nice to get away. That was kind of it for me. And we did continue to talk a bit, but I just had in my head that there was no way that was going to turn into anything. Even though I really liked him, I was just like, whatever. So how old were you and how old was he? So I was... He, I was, oh, how old was I then? I was like 29 and he was like 20. So, wow. Yeah, quite a big wow. age difference. That's awesome. Yeah, so I, yeah, I know. So it was just, it was just one of those things that I thought this was a really beautiful connection, but there's no way that someone that young is going to be interested in anything long term. And so I just went on about my life, still planning to move back there and still planning you know, all these things, um, regardless of that, but just kind of continuing on. And there was a lot of drama going on in that time with my ex-husband because he, you know, I'd said to him that I had seen someone and wanted him to understand that, you know, I was definitely moving on. I think he was in the process of kind of seeing other people at that point. We were making it work pretty well as flatmates, but that did cause him to kind of have to face that that we were really done forever Mm. that there was no chance of reconciliation and he was then having his own you know really difficult time because of that Mm. so I I just threw myself back into looking after the kids and then maybe like three weeks later I thought I'd had like a little bit of bleeding around the time my period was due but just thought oh I'm just so stressed it's just a light period it's fine and then, but it never really came to anything. And then, you know, sort of three weeks after this conception, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to take a pregnancy test to rule this out. There's no possible way I'm pregnant. It's not possible, but I'll just do it because I know if I go to the doctor or if I go and see anyone about this, that's the first thing they're going to want me to do. Yeah. So I take this test and it's like instantly extremely positive. <laughs> and I'm like walking around my house, hyperventilating, like, oh my god, like, I've just ruined my whole life, like, what is going on, like, I'm only like 30 years old at this point, so I'm just, like, feeling like I, like, worse than I did when I was 14 and pregnant, I felt like this, like, little girl who'd made this horrific mistake and didn't want to tell anybody about it, Interesting. I thought, oh, cool, so I'm, yeah, yeah, so that happened, and I came to terms with it, and I told my now partner and totally expecting him to just be like, I don't even want to talk to you again because you know, like you just have this kind of stereotype of young men that they probably would not want anything to do with that. And I didn't want to put any pressure on. I'd been a really young parent. I knew how hard it was. Um, 
I was also extremely hyper-independent at that point and just thought I can do everything on my own. Yeah. And yeah, so I told him and he was like shocked, but very supportive and like, you know, just whatever you want to do kind of thing. And it was really reassuring because at least I had somebody to talk to about it because I couldn't, I couldn't bring it up with anybody else. And then it went on and I think I got to about nine weeks pregnant and I had moved up my moving date because I knew that I wanted to talk to my ex about it but I also knew with the mental state that he was in and what he was going through it wasn't the right time and I didn't want him to find out in a way that would affect our co-parenting and the relationship we were still trying to sustain um, as friends I didn't really want to shove that in his face because I knew it was going to be really difficult for him um and yes yeah, so we changed the moving date um to move quite a bit sooner and I was just preparing for that um I remember my daughter my older daughter saying to me um are you okay are you dying because I was really sick and I was trying to hide the fact that I was really really sick with morning sickness and because their nana had died just the year before yeah. they were all really still recovering from that Aww. and I had to tell her that I was pregnant and because I, I was like, no, I'm not dying. I'm just pregnant. And it was just, oh, it was so much for them to be dealing with and for me to be dealing with. And then, yeah, I, I moved cross country with them about a month before Christmas. Um, wow. and yeah, I knew that I would have another home birth. I, I knew about free birth at that point. I mean, I'd heard about it a long time before that, but it was kind of one of those things where it was like, wow, that's amazing for these women, but not for me. Yeah. Like that's amazing that they can do that, but I don't think I could do that. So I'm just going to be in awe of these women with all this bravery. And I'm different because I have these problems and I have all these stories and yeah. I can't do that because, yeah. you know, at that point I didn't realize how deep that good girl conditioning and that people pleasing was for me. And that really intense fear of getting in trouble kind of overtook me and so when I moved down when I moved back home I think I was nearing about 12 weeks pregnant and I found a midwife and she took me on and it was fine and she was also really wonderful just kind of happy to let me do my thing um and that that pregnancy was really great we found out that she was a girl and it was definitely a lot to navigate having this unexpected pregnancy because my whole plan to move back home was that my mum who had been in recovery for about three years at that point that she would be able to live with me and support me with the kids so I could go back to work that was the original plan and that plan was just being taken from me bit by bit because obviously that was never what I was supposed to be doing and you know my mum lived with me and during the pregnancy she ended up relapsing and causing we had you know a very traumatic breakdown in our relationship and that's about the last time we've really been in each other's lives so that was like five years ago now wow and yeah I that pregnancy I was incredibly like we were so poor I have never had that little to survive on in my life I was extremely depleted nutritionally um while I was still I didn't have any major health issues during that pregnancy I just felt like crap all the time my my older daughter was um going through extreme anxiety and panic attacks and 
you know, she was 11 and she was wanting to die because the change, all the change had just compounded on her. So I've got this, this whole thing going on. My partner and I didn't live together at that point. Um, it was in the plans, but obviously our relationship was very new. So all of this stuff was happening and it was just so much. And I didn't really, because when you're in it and when you're in survival mode, when you're just trying to get through it, you don't really often realize quite how intense it is until later on when things settle down and you're like, oh, wow, that was, that was really bad. (laughs) So yeah, I, um, planned a home birth again and it was extremely straightforward. It was my fastest birth. It was like so easy, but I think now looking back and unpacking that, I can really see the fear that medical midwives hold around birth, that there really is no trust, even in those who may have a really, really um, physiological belief and, and a really good philosophy on birth because of that fear of them getting in trouble on their own good girl and their own issues you just like I think back to just even looks that my midwife was giving mm. me during my labor even though she never said a word I can now see how that impacted me and how it filled me with adrenaline and how it changed things and it was just such an easy experience and after that I was like pretty certain I was never going to have any more children but then I'm I'm one of those people that says that every time I have a baby and now I've got nearly seven. So, <laughs> so yeah. Can I just back up yeah. a sec? So your new partner who is 20 years old watches you give birth at home? Like where yeah. he, he's just, is, is do you think that's because he was so like, yeah, sure, fine. Or were you so sure in yourself by that point that you were just like, no, this is what I'm doing and it'll be fine and you can, yeah. So when I was like, not long after I found out I was pregnant, I was like, look, I'm just letting you know I have my babies at home. I breastfeed them. I know these are new concepts here. I'm happy to answer all the questions you want, but ultimately this is what I'll be doing. Um, there, There is, I, you know, I talked to him a lot about, my traumatic births and he had quite a lot of like he's got quite a lot of medical trauma around a few things as well so it was very easy to discuss that with him and for him to understand and I think I was very lucky that neither of the fathers of my children ever fought me on any of this like they always understood and respected that what was happening to my body was happening to my body and what I chose to do with that was was my choice and that you know, there had to be, if they trusted me, there had to be a level of trust around the choices that I was making. Mm. And I think also, you know, there was midwives there. So they knew that there was somebody there. And I suppose never felt called to take on any extra responsibility, which a lot of partners do when their partner's um, planning a free birth is they then think that they have to step into that role of responsibility. So yeah, he was honestly amazing I had never been supported like that in labor Um, my ex-husband was a person who just sort of sat on the other side of the room complaining about how loud I was and how long it was taking so for me to have this this man who was so young and who was yeah who was just like you know right there with me really in tune with what I needed this whole labor it was like such a different experience and I think when we had our first child together I was so excited for him to experience it and become a father that I think I didn't focus so much on how it was affecting me Mm. which I can see now wasn't the greatest but I was just so 
excited for him. It was my fifth go at this. So, you know, I'd done it many times. I knew what to expect, but it was all new for him. So I'm just watching him experience everything for the first time. And it was so amazing. But at the same time, it also did take away from my own connection to the experience. And like, because for his family, it was their first grandchild. There was a lot of um, codependency and things for him to unpack. Uh, that postpartum was, it was good. Like it, it was, you know, I still had to get up and do things pretty quickly after with my older children because at that point my um, ex-husband hadn't moved back to the same city as us. So there wasn't really anyone to support him. My mum my had gone. Um, but his family just you know, they didn't talk to me throughout the whole pregnancy. And as soon as I neared the due date, they would start showing up. It was very invasive. I felt like I was just this incubator carrying their their grandchild and this baby that they all were so waiting for, but there was no care and concern for me. And it was quite difficult because I think like my partner moved in with me about a week before she was born. So that was new and like honestly our relationship really blossomed through that it wasn't there was nothing negative there but there was a lot to unravel with dynamics like I'd already learned to put boundaries up with my family and I'd already I already knew kind of what I needed in that kind of in postpartum I knew what I needed um around my mothering and what support would be helpful and what wouldn't I knew I didn't really want people holding my baby and stuff when I'm learning to breastfeed her and all of those things but for him, it was very hard for him to put up those boundaries because he'd never had to do that before. So mm. that was this whole separate thing being navigated. And, you know, of course, me having to be the one to stand up to them at that point, it was very easy for them to then put all of that blame onto me yeah. and make these problems. Um, however, like overall, it was a really great experience. Like we, the first year of her life was wonderful. Honestly, it was even though our relationship was new, it felt really right. I felt like I was being supported and heard and like this person really like actually loved me. It was a very different situation. I felt like we had a lot more in common. It was just, yeah, it was just honestly a really wonderful time. Mm. And when she was about 10 months old, we started talking like when, when she was two months old, I started feeling a very strong presence of a baby boy and at the time I was like, I am not having any more babies, like go away. I knew all about the whole spirit baby thing, but I was just like, no, 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 maybe one day, but not now. And he just kept calling and calling and calling and calling to me. And that presence got stronger. And I talked to my partner about it. And I think when my daughter was about 10 months old, my cycle returned and we started trying to conceive him. Um, and it was like never had a conscious conception before, even though my second child was planned. It was planned in a very generically medical, clinical way. It was just like, okay, I'm ovulating, let's do it. It was, it was not, there was no spiritual connection there. I didn't have any inkling of who that, that child's going to be. Yeah. It was just like, let's have a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Just before we go into your next, I think there's so much in that because you've just experienced for the first time a supported, within reason, (laughs) 
Um, but a supported mm. postpartum, of course, you had to get up and you had to, you had to do your thing with your babies. But mm. would you say that that was your first experience of of having a baby at home, being left to do what physiologically and instinctually you know what to do, um, and then and then having a postpartum that isn't filled with your mum and your ex and you know like yes you had to get up but that sounds and feels like a totally different experience like that must have impacted mm. that first year like you said was beautiful it was mm. it was definitely like yeah like I mean with my fourth obviously I had that I had the birth that I wanted but nothing that followed that was was what I wanted or what I needed and this experience like you know I think two days after she was born it was a school holiday so I didn't have to go anywhere we were just kind of able to be there as a family for those first two or three weeks and you know I suppose even though the problems with his family were quite hard to deal with I was removed from it it wasn't really my thing I I was able to speak my mind and keep those boundaries up for myself so it didn't really affect me in the way that it probably affected him but yeah it was just really nice to experience that connection and and experience somebody who really wanted to be there and even when he wasn't sure how to support me or exactly what to do he really wanted to learn and he yeah. really wanted to you know hear what I needed and he really wanted to support me in breastfeeding and it was just so different because it's not even it's not even that I ever expected anyone to come in and do everything for me so I could just sit there it was more just having someone with a willingness and having someone who who cared enough to actually be invested in that time because that bonding time is as much for the father as it is for the mother and I feel like my ex-husband missed out on so much with our kids because he just wasn't connected to that experience at all so it was it was really amazing on so many levels even though life itself had its ups and downs there was that stability of my relationship for the first time in my life and that was really special mm. so going into your second baby with your current partner what was that transition from just a home birth with the midwife um to free birth you said you already had free birth was on your radar you had the knowledge and the willingness to do it and now you had the partner yeah what were the steps that happened or that needed to happen or that you made happen to be able to then step into a free birth so yeah as soon as I started feeling the presence of this baby I knew that this would be a free birth baby whenever he decided to come through um I just there was still some apprehension and fears, but I just knew that was how it was going to be. I think when my, I said probably around, it was, yeah, I was probably when my daughter was, my fifth baby was about five months old, I actually got gifted my doula training. So I did that doula training, um, breezed through that and started my business and started offering services. So that was already going on. Um, I was already becoming really connected with a lot of women who were free birthing, a lot of um, doulas who supported free birthing women. I was still kind of finding my feet with that business. And, um, you know, I was attending births from the time my daughter was maybe about eight or nine months old. But 
it was sort of sporadic at that point. Um, it took about six months to conceive my sixth baby. So by that point, I'd been doing this work for quite some time and had fallen into quite a rhythm with it. I, you know, really built up my community there. So I was a lot more confident in the fact that that's what I would do. I, um, I did engage with a midwife who was also a friend. She was part of the practice I had used the time before. And I, I think for me, I was kind of like, well, I'm going to free birth and I'm going to decline basically everything. However, I am still afraid of getting in trouble. I am still afraid of how difficult it's going to be to get a birth certificate. And it was very like practical. And yeah, that, that just that fear of, of somebody telling me I've done something wrong was really big. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking through that whole pregnancy, like, I really have no need for this midwife. Like I felt like I was taking up resources that weren't mine to take because I just didn't need her. And you know, she's lovely and we, we get along and we still chat from time to time, but it was just so, so not necessary. And, you know, because I was declining everything, she was just coming for a chat every once in a while. And it was just, I felt like I was wasting her time because at that point I knew she's a medical midwife. Like her job is to, you know, perform clinically. Her job is to perform clinical, you know, tests. So I felt like, it was very strange, but at the same time, I that fear of disengaging with her, it just didn't seem, it just didn't seem like something I could do. Was there? I'm still wondering a little bit about your partner because that you know on 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 every side of a free birthing woman, there's a man um, or woman who has to kind of on some level be cool with it or not. You know, of course, there's loads of women who are just like, no, I'm doing this you know was there an element of him that was curious like because essentially what you're talking about is is kind of like what's called a wild pregnancy you know you're not you're not having an engagement with the system um mm. was there anything on on his side that you had to work through together um not really like <clears throat> i remember saying to him early on like i I don't want the midwives to be there when, when we have the baby this time. I, you know, I, I want to, I'll ha I have this midwife through my pregnancy. Like she, she did provide some things for me that were really helpful. Like I had severe SPD. That was my third pregnancy. I'd had severe SPD and she was a Bowen therapist prior to being a midwife. So, you know, there was, there were things she could do for me that were really wonderful. Um, even though they weren't actually what she was there for. I, I found that helpful and like my partner had quite a good relationship with her as well. We we both really liked her, but we were both, he was fine with the fact that I didn't want them there. He'd seen me give birth with no one touching me the time before. I think if there had been any, any issues or interventions in that birth, he probably would have felt differently, but I yeah. think because he'd already seen me so confidently do it and, and knowing I'd done it four times before that, yeah. he was kind of just like, you know, he, he was definitely a bit nervous about it. He was like, is there anything I have to do? And I said, no, you know, I said, we'll, we'll likely call them, you know, after the baby's born when we're ready to do that and they can come and just do the paperwork and go again. And he was sort of, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about what we would do in certain situations and I talked about what situations I would potentially want him to call them and things like that. But he really just did have a big trust in, in, in me and knew that it was my choice. I just, yeah, I don't feel like 
I feel like I had to do a lot more work than him to be okay with it fully. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the pregnancy was, was great. It was another really good pregnancy. Um, I did have a severe sugar addiction in that pregnancy. So I felt like I was carrying so much fluid. I kind of felt like he was a bigger baby. Um, but I wasn't worried about any of that stuff. I, had I had fears come up that I was able to work through at that point because I was doing that that work with women where I was working helping them work through their fears so it was a lot easier for me to be quite logical about that stuff um and I was at that point getting into unpacking conditioning and stuff around birth and I knew that it was really important for me to go really deeply into my own past experiences to unpack them fully so I could really be present for that birth um and it, it just was like a weird and a knowing like it wasn't even that I was so against people having midwives at their births at that point it was more just like I knew that that baby needed to be born without any medical professionals there and I didn't understand why at that time until I gave birth um and I remember my midwife calling me about three days before I gave birth maybe two and she was just checking in to say she was going on her weekend off and telling me who would be available and all of that stuff, just making sure I had, you know, I didn't need anything before she went off call. And she then, even though I had discussed my my want to potentially free birth and that I was, you know, feeling really confident and just calling them afterwards and we had discussed that, she then said to me on the phone, don't go and do anything silly like free birth. Yeah. And I was just like, at that point was like okay so there is no way I could possibly have you at my birth it was like that was what I needed to hear from her she had also had because she'd only been practicing for about two or three years and everyone else was more senior to her um, in her little group she had then been I guess they'd started harassing her about talking to me about um, having the Pitocin shot after birth and because there's some new thing that they now tell women who have had multiple babies that because there's so much room in your uterus and your uterus doesn't shrink as quickly as, um, you know, women who have only had one, that it's dangerous and you're more likely to bleed and you need to. So they really wanted to push me to have this. And I knew that was bullshit. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've never had a bleed ever, even in my really traumatic births, I never had any bleeding like my bleeding was always so minimal that I knew that was one thing I was never going to encounter and it was never a fear of mine and that was just like a really good confirmation because it was like it made me be able to separate that even when you trust a midwife and she's a lovely person and you get along with her really well on a personal level she still serves that registration first and yeah. I just knew that there was just no way like there was no option for me I knew even in my birth if I felt afraid or I felt like I needed her, that I just shouldn't call her because I just shouldn't. I just knew. Yeah. And so I think I went into labor. I think I woke up on my due date with my bloody show, and I was like, oh, cool, it's going to happen soon. Like, just went on about my day. I took my my third son to rugby. I took we, all the kids. We all went to his rugby game. Um, and I remember just walking around and around the field because I could start to feel like I felt like the baby had moved so far down. I felt all the pressure, little niggles were starting and I was like, oh yeah, probably be in the next couple of days and just went about my life. Um, the next day I started having, I thought actually, no, that night I started having contractions that were 
you know, bearable, but there was some intensity and pain to them. So I was like, cool, because I'm a person who usually has a very pretty short active labor, but that lead up and pre-labor can go on for a day or two. Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of on my normal pattern and I felt like, yeah, things were just as they should be. I I had those contractions every 10-ish minutes all night long, but I sort of was able to sleep through them and just get up to the bathroom and stuff like that. The next morning, I knew that would be the day um, they'd really picked up. I remember having a shower and cleaning myself and then like feeling the bag of waters just bulging right there and thinking, oh yeah, this is definitely this is definitely happening today. I could I could see that purple line in the mirror on my on my butt and it was like looking very much like I was obviously very dilated. Not that it really meant anything, but I was like, okay, obviously this is the real thing. Um it seemed like such a slow lead up and it reminded me a lot of my first baby. And I know that I uh, the midwife had said a few times that the baby was quite posterior and every day almost for the last six weeks of my pregnancy he had moved transverse posterior and then then to an anterior position and obviously there was a lot of space in there because he was just constantly moving into these positions and I could tell that these contractions were just very slowly trying to gently get him into a position that was going to work. Um, I went through my day like normal, honestly completely pain-free there was no pressure there was no adrenaline I baked muffins like an hour and a half before he was born it was just like <laughs> really casual like, yeah I was just me and my partner and both my daughters my sons were all at their dad's at that point um so we just kind of hung out and just like lived life and it started to get more intense around 1 p.m in the afternoon and yeah I think I finished baking at like 1 30 or something maybe two and I started to vocalize through the contractions. Um, I still wouldn't have called it painful, but it was just, I could tell it was nearing that time. I, I started to, it started to pick up to the point where the intensity was like all of a sudden so extreme from absolutely nothing. And I just felt like my body was now really forcing the baby to get out of posterior position. Mm. Um, my back was really sore. My partner was doing all this really intense counter pressure. And I got to the point maybe like 20 minutes before he was born where my body had been actively pushing by itself for probably an hour or so. And I was like, okay, why is he not moving? Like what is going on? Is he going to come out posterior? And I started realizing why I felt so called to to have a free birth because this labor was so much like my first birth. Both of them were my biggest babies. They were both posterior, these very long, slow labors that really were not in the box of what would be normal. I knew that if there was a midwife there at that point, there would be suggestions being made and things would, yeah, sorry. It's okay. Things would start kind of, um, being pushed on me and yeah so I I continued through that and started feeling very um I started getting that fear that you get in transition like everything was intense and all of a sudden I was just like in this transition where every single thing I hadn't worked through was coming up and I was just like talk, saying all these things and it was all just happening and I I sent my partner out of the room at that point and I think that no 
all I needed in that moment was just to be alone for a second. And I felt this contraction come and thank you. This very thundering feeling. Um, and it was in that moment that he finally turned from posterior just before he was about to come out. And it was like, I've never felt anything like that in my life. It was so intense. And then he was coming out and his head was coming out and I called out to my partner that, Oh, it's okay. He's coming out now because I started getting that fear of him being stuck. Like I did with my first, because my first, they kept saying, Oh, he's stuck. We're just going to help you. And it was really interesting how it was like this parallel of what it's like to have, you know, these variations of normal happen in a hospital setting. And then these variations of normal happening when you're alone, Mm. it's so different. Mm. Um, And yeah, he came out very quickly in the next few minutes and you know I caught him and I was just elated that I had done this on my own with nobody there and it was so like transformative because all the stories even though I'd worked through a lot of them every single piece of those stories that was left just they were gone because I I'd seen what I could do finally yeah Um, and it took me six babies to get there but it just yeah it changed everything for me and yeah, I just held him and fed him and talked to him. And, um, you know, we did the placenta. My girls cut the cord. It was really beautiful. Midwives came and did their paperwork and asked if I needed anything. And I was like, no, thank you. And then they kind of went on their way. And that was really it. It was, yeah. And now I'm I'm pregnant with number seven and have had a completely wild pregnancy and am planning another free birth. So, Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. I am so, I'm so elated for you. I think you said the the bits of the story that were left, it's such a good way of saying that because it is, it's like little fragments that are still around and they, they creep in, they do every now and then. And yeah, till it's gone, till you can really feel that it's gone. Um, I think they're there for a reason and I think they come up and I think it's it's part of being challenged in a way that just reaffirms the decisions that you're trying to make for yourself, for your yeah. for your body, for your baby. Um, and so, moving from there, being a doula yourself, where does that place you then in in how you feel like you can? be present at somebody's birth, be, be a support at somebody else's birth. Like, did that change how you felt about your own presence? Yeah. So before I had had my sixth baby, my own free birth, I had already made the decision that I would not be attending system births, even home births with midwives anymore. Um, I had every single birth I attended was just rife with problems um when the whole covid thing happened the hospital stopped allowing um second support people in anyway so that was kind of when i was like okay i will never attend another hospital birth it just it was never in line with me but i think when i when i did this training when i first started practicing as a doula it was very much like just pick me i want everyone to pick me and it was very you know you should serve all women and you should respect all their choices and you know, I had to work through a lot to be supporting women in that hospital. I'd had that first traumatic birth. And again, it was just quite awful. Mm. Um, 
and I was just seeing, I was seeing all these midwives who I'd seen at home births in the hospital behaving horrendously. And even though my clients were having vaginal births, they were just having to fight so hard to, to just get any semblance of normal. And so, yeah, that happened. And I kind of said after COVID, I was like, well, I'm not going to be doing hospital births anymore. Moved into home births. And then I think when I was about three months pregnant, um, I attended my friend's home birth. She'd hired me as her doula. And I watched her midwife um, just from the moment I got there, her midwife was running around just being so invasive. This this was her fourth baby. She was just she was doing a great job. It was there was no issues there, but I could tell that the midwife just did not know how to sit on her hands. Um this was someone who'd been really recommended to me, so it was really interesting to see this this person in action and to see the way she was practicing. And mm. yeah, the birth was perfect. And then this midwife reached into the pool and started yanking on the cord not even 10 minutes after the birth saying, you need to get out of the pool. We need to get this placenta out, blah, blah, blah. And all this chaos was happening. And that ended up causing a catastrophic, almost fatal um, bleed in my friend. And this this midwife's glee over needing to save her was just so shocking to me. And then I think I realized at that point how much ego was involved in in birth and how you know, these midwives are not doing their own inner work. They do not have any understanding of that. They do not want the women they're working with to do that inner work because then they won't need them. And so there was, it was just very eye-opening to me. Um, I ended up attending one more hospital birth after that because I still had her on my books. She was like my last person, maybe a couple of months after that. And it was a midwife who worked with this one I'd seen do this whole thing. And then she did the exact same thing and the exact same thing happened. And I was like, okay, so there are groups of midwives who are practicing this way. And after that, I was just like, no, yeah. the only births I will attend are free births. I need to change everything I'm doing. Yeah. That's when I started um, working with Lisa. So I was already kind of like seeing all of this stuff and making all these huge transitions in my own work so when I got pregnant again it just it, I just knew this is what I had to do because you know I'd thought for years that the answer to all this trauma women were experiencing was a home birth with a midwife I thought that was the solution so when I had that completely squashed and I was like that's not even true it was like well what's left and what do women actually need to do to be able to have these births that they want and to be able to do it without accepting potential sabotage and abuse. So this was all kind of going on at the same time. I think I, after I attended, I think I attended the last birth before he was born, maybe when I was about seven months pregnant. And then um, I didn't attend any more births after that for a long time because I was obviously having my own baby. So yeah, it all really tied in together at the same time. I realized that I was so complicit in that abuse. Like it just, because when, you, when you're giving birth, even if you're giving birth in a hospital and it's not going so great, you're still caught up in all those hormones. You've still got this new baby who you're, you know, attached to and you, it's still a beautiful day for you because you're meeting your baby. So it's really easy in that moment to, to push all that trauma aside and not deal with it in that moment. It's such a happy day for you. But when you're there as, a, as an outside observer, 
you're not seeing and feeling all of that. You're just seeing the way that this woman is being railroaded and you're just seeing all of the all of the things that are happening to her that shouldn't be happening to her, even if she's not capable of seeing it at that point. And yeah. you start to I just started to realize like all these things I've been telling women about how I can help lessen their, you know, their intervention rates and all these things are not true because I can't do anything for them. I can't do anything in that situation. Like I'm not able to advocate for them because they can't even advocate for themselves. And there's no, like, I'm going to get kicked out of here if I try and advocate for this woman. Like there was just nothing I could do. And I realized how I was just part of that abuse. And it was really awful to get to that point because then I had to undo all of that shame of, oh my gosh, I've unconsciously added to women's trauma and sold them lies and sold them things that aren't actually possible um, and that was really, really hard to, you know, you really have to be able to let go of your ego and and step into more responsibility. And I don't think I could have stepped into responsibility for women. Um, well, t- I don't think I could have stepped into the responsibility of what I had caused women without stepping into full responsibility for myself, and my own experiences. I don't think, I don't think I could have done that before my free birth. I don't think I could have done that before all this this growth I've been forced to do these last couple of years it just wouldn't have been possible and now when women find you on Instagram your message is quite different to the 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 usual doula type situation you know you've you've written guiding women into deep connection responsibility and power and you offer one-on-one coaching for birth and mothering and sensual self-connection. As soon as we realize that women do not need to be helped, they need to be given the space Mm. and the respect to birth their babies as a supportive outsource, you're there to do everything else. If it's ever treated in any other way, that's when the shit starts hitting the fan. Yeah. That's when things stop happening. That's when things stop becoming physiological and they start becoming a mental game. Yeah. There's a reason I didn't get a doula when I knew that I was um, going to be free birthing or unassisted birthing or whatever you want to call it, because I did not want somebody in my space who thought that they needed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just, totally. I just didn't. And I, I noticed that when I, cause when I made the switch to the work I'm doing now, I was originally still offering free birth support, but I noticed very quickly that even free birthing women who hire a doula are still looking for somebody to save and even save them. And even if they're not, it's so interesting how there were moments in those births where the women would look to me like I was going to give them some kind of solution or advice, like I was some kind of expert more so than them. And I never wanted that. And it it became clear how much any energy in a woman's birth space can sabotage her and can change the course of things. And it's not really possible for it to be fully physiological and autonomous with somebody you've hired for that reason. And yeah, you know, like sure, there are a few women who are hiring doulas for more practical reasons, like they want someone to 
help them with their children or they want someone to be able to pass them a water bottle. And some of those women are in full responsibility, but just acknowledging that, you know, mm. I was an intervention, I was in, an interference, even if their birth still went wonderfully and exactly how they planned, my presence there was still impactful in some mm. way. And it's a very hard thing for most mm. birth workers to hear and to accept. Um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, they're bad or they're doing the wrong thing or that their intentions aren't good. It's just, yeah, women will easily look outside themselves if they aren't being taught how to do that work. And mo and most, most doulas and birth workers are not actually doing the inner work with women during their pregnancies. They're trying to save them. They're in hero. They're in that in their own egos they are getting something out of that woman's birth experience for themselves and they're not doing that work like I have found when I do the work with women during their pregnancy they don't need me at their birth they don't need anybody there they don't they actually completely let go of the belief that they do and if they do have somebody there it's it's not for the reasons they originally hired them for Everything we sell to women, including a birth support person, is to take them away from being fully present in their experience and is some kind of savior. Like I, I, my free birth was really hard work. I worked really hard for that birth. It was so intense at the end. I, but I, but I had to go inside of myself. There was nobody else there to save me from it. And that is where that real transformation came from. And that's where I met myself and was able to be so present with that experience. I didn't feel like I needed to escape. I didn't feel like I needed any specific techniques because it was such a privilege to feel all of that. And it's really interesting how there's just this whole industry that's maybe more on the natural side but they're still selling women this idea that they need to escape from this experience when really it's just this biological thing that our bodies are going to do and there's probably going to be like tons of different um variations of normal and sometimes it's going to be really straightforward and sometimes it's, you're going to have to work a lot harder for it and sometimes it's going to be really intense but eventually a baby will just come out of you and it's not this thing that needs all these different things attached to it. It's just so boring. And when we're really present with that, it's like you realize all of the times, like I don't know about you, but after I free birthed, I just grieved for months of all the times that I gave up my autonomy, all the times that I had not been in full responsibility, all the times that I let other people um, decide for me and it was such a unexpected journey of grief because I was like I've been trying to get away from this and trying to get through it and manage this intensity and pain and and try and have other people to look to this whole time when actually I was the key all along and all of those things were just hindrances to me figuring that out mm. and now that I know that it's so much easier to to move through it and like at the beginning of this pregnancy I had every intention to hire a doula my partner and I went through some massive stuff last year and some really really big things happened that caused me to leave birth work and just delete my entire 
profile, uh, my whole, like all my social media for my business, I, I went away, I went ghost for a year and it was really massive for me. And I had to go through this whole like personal transformation, but I had every intention at the beginning of this pregnancy to hire somebody. And it was very easy for me to quickly see that the reasons I was trying to hire somebody were not actually in alignment with what I wanted. It was to be saved in some way. It was to avoid something. And once you have experienced that full power and doing it all on your own and going completely inward, when you do, even when you do make decisions that might not quite align, it's a lot, it's a lot of a quicker, it's a much quicker process to be like, oh, so that's why I'm doing this. And now I know exactly what steps I need to take to work through that thing so I can let it go and then see if I really actually am choosing that from a genuine place. And mm. it's just because so many birth workers just want to be chosen and they just want women to hire them and they want to help these women and be part of their experience. They're not realizing that they're taking on too much responsibility. Like it's not a birth worker's job to save a woman. It's not a birth worker's job to take on the responsibility for them and to, you know, push them towards some specific outcome. It is our job as birth workers is actually to understand that that woman is an expert, that we actually do not know more than them and that whatever they choose is fine. We don't have to have any attachment to that. Like they can go and choose the most intervention filled birth, but if a woman fully understands what she's choosing and why she's choosing it and she's worked through all of her conditioning and her blocks and all of that stuff, then she's going to be in full responsibility for every choice she makes. And she's not going to come out of that traumatized, even if it was a really difficult birth or a difficult experience, because it was her leading it all along. Mm. And what we're left with is actually a whole lot less, <laughs> like maybe in a different way, but after free birthing for for me my mental journey was hard and fast and short uh for me i i realized there was a whole lot that i was ready and immediately able to work through whereas with my first because of that gaslighting and because of that conditioning that I was still under, I it took a lot longer for me to understand that actually it wasn't this perfect, blissful home birth with a midwife, um, that the worst parts of it were the midwife. As much as I do love that woman, um, she was still, as you said, she served mm. her registration yeah first in parts of that labor and those were the parts where I suffered it was either she either put me first or she put the registration first and I think when I was left um to take full responsibility of my birth the only person I had to talk to and unpack with were my, well, of course, my partner, Tobias, my sister, they were the only people who were there, but myself. So it was all this inter internal intentional work that I was doing that, wow, it's just made me such a better person. It's made me a better mum. It's made me a better woman. It's connected me more to myself. And I do wonder if I didn't have that experience, 
would I be the woman and the mother and partner that I am now? And for me, I think the answer is no. And I think it is no for a lot of women. You're offering one-on-one sessions with women, um, but you're also about to have a baby. So for anyone listening to this, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> where does life lead you now after your after your next free birth? So, I mean, the good thing about doing online one-on-one coaching is that nobody is going to care if I have a baby hanging off my boob while I'm doing that. Um, it, it does give me a lot more freedom to return to the space probably sooner than I would if I was returning to a mainstream job. Um, yeah. I will probably just be enjoying the Christmas holidays uh, with my family and having this baby whenever it decides to come out. And yeah. I hope that sort of February, March, I will be able to return to offering one-on-one spaces. I currently do single sessions, which are followed by like a week of voice messaging. And then I have a four session bundle and a 12 session program. So all of all three of my offerings have those options. Um, However, I am really excited that in the new year, I'm going to hopefully be able to do things like private subscriptions or, um, and also I'm hoping to record a lot of different kind of web episodes uh, about different topics, um, going a lot more in depth about the things that I talk to and having them available for purchase for women, just so that I can focus on my family and still have offerings that will be really helpful to people that they can that can be more self-directed, that they can do in their own time. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to being able to come back more fully when the baby's a bit older and offering things like group sessions. And um, I would really, really like to be able to offer something like Lisa offers. Um, I talked to you about the other day, we talked about the um, connection calls that she does and she is open to everyone in the world there basically but I would love to have something like that for women in New Zealand who are birth workers because there are a lot of birth workers in New Zealand who are starting to wake up to what is really going on and starting to feel burnt out and feel like that fight is really really hard and are wanting to to teach like to work with women and to learn for themselves like how to better show up for women and for themselves in that work without having to live this life of burnout and without necessarily having to attend births. Um, so I do have a lot of really exciting ideas. I'm just, yeah, I feel like I'm just falling into that, that birth portal now where it could happen at any moment. And I love this work, but I'm going to just disappear and have this baby and get my, my energy in the right, right space. But yeah, I'm, I definitely see this being lifelong work for me. I don't have any yeah. I don't have any idea of like stopping it. I I have yeah. so many ideas going forward and this was definitely you know having another baby always throws a spanner in the works of your of your <laughs> professional life, but um I I will definitely be back and offering the same things. I mean this the way that I'm working now it works so much better than anything I did previously, so I just yeah, I want to keep doing what I'm doing beautiful and so how can people find you on instagram so my instagram handle is at danielle james coaching i'm usually pretty available on there i've also got an email in my bio on there that i can be contacted for anything business related um even throughout my leave and when i might not be so active on there but yeah that's the best way to contact me right now 
Thank you so much for talking with me today. And I can't wait to hear how your next birth unfolds. And I've got a feeling that there'll probably be another episode after you have this baby. <laughs> We've got, I feel like we could talk for hours. Yeah, I know. I mean, we could talk for hours about all of this. Oh, so yeah. many hours. I will definitely, I can't wait to share that. I will definitely be back anytime you'll have me to talk to you. This has been really, really awesome. Yeah. I've loved every second yeah. of it. Oh, good. Thank you. And yes, I will link everything anyway in the show notes so people can still find you. And yay for these conversations being normalized and birth being simple and normalized as it should be. And thank you so much for all the work that you do. And yeah, we'll, I'll watch this space and I'll be, I'll be right there when, when the baby comes. <laughs> Virtually. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 